When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Here comes the corner. It's high, dropping inside the area. Bailey has lost it. The shot comes in. Hello and welcome to the latest in the lockdown interviews. My name's Sam Davis and this is Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. On this show, we have an interview with the goal scorers from one of the most memorable FA Cup upsets. It's Milton Graham and Ian Thompson. Stories include falling through an off-licence window in Jersey, ending up in a police cell, Harry Redknapp's reaction... Racism in the 80s, the Man United match build-up and reaction, and also playing under Harry Redknapp. Just what was it like? This interview was brilliant, and it was done by Neil Dawson and, first, Jeff Hayward. Of course, it's the one and only Ian Thompson and Milton Graham. How are you both? Hi, good afternoon. Good, yeah. We're both good. Yeah, I very think we're good, all good. Yeah, trying good to remember, stuff. Uh, remember the, the bygone days. Indeed, indeed. And we've also got Neil Dawson. How are you, Neil? You all right? I'm very good. I'm very good. I remember that day as if it was yesterday. Just like me. Just like me. So, gentlemen, great to see you. We're going to start with you, Ian, before we move on to Milton. How did you join AFCB? Um, oh, I suppose um, a long story through the ranks of non-league football. Um, I have no history of uh, being a YT or being an apprentice at any football clubs and um, just went through my sort of education onto university and played a bit of university football until I was 21. Um, Ended up, once I'd left university, doing a bit of work on a 
uh, on the buildings and got picked up to play for um, Andover in the Southern League. Um, soon after, went down to uh, Pool Town and then on to subsequently on to Salisbury, uh, where the manager was uh, an ex-professional called Jeff Butler, who played many times for Norwich. Um, and one of his big mates was the then um, John Benson, who was the manager of Manchester City. Um, and he kind of took me on a trial up there. Um, and they were they were happy to offer me a contract. But um, my wife and I were actually up in Manchester the, the, uh, looking for properties the day that uh, Raddy Antic scored for Luton to put Manchester City down, out of the first division, down to Division 2. Um, and, and there was all change at the club. John Benson left and new manager came in. And in the meantime, I played in, Milton might remember, I played in a testimonial for Salisbury against Bournemouth uh, that George yeah. Best played in. Um, and we had a great day. And after that game, Harry um, spoke to me and asked if I'd consider coming down to Bournemouth. Um, and the rest is history. And that was in 1983. And I signed for Bournemouth. And, um, and that's where the journey started for me at the age of 24. And Milton, you'd been at the club a year or so already. And in fact, I remember because I was at I was at Bournemouth School at the time and our school got to the under-19 semi-final, played a team from Walthamstow in which you, John Rodney and Danny Bailey were all playing. I think it was a National Cup semi-final, as I remember. And, and from that, you, you sort of caught the eye of the, the sports teacher at my school who had to work with the club, from what I gather. Is that true? Yeah, that's all true. Yeah, we played in the, this semi-final. Um, the three of us played really well, um, got through, and I got a phone call uh, probably two weeks later. Can you come down for a trial? Um, went down for a trial, and it's well, I say it's funny. I can look back at it now. Um, after the two-week trial, I was told I wasn't quite good enough. So I cried all the way back to London. <laughs> And then I got a phone call a week later saying, can you play in the FA Youth Cup against Southampton? Uh, I'll never forget it. It was on a Friday night. So I came back down and I'd made my mind up that they were going to keep me. So I played in that game. Um, straight after I was asked, do you want to do an apprenticeship? I said, yes, yeah, straight away. So, and, and that's how it started for me. Brilliant. Milton, you, you actually made a right splash, didn't you, when you came into the uh, into the first team? Because I remember you scored twice on your debut uh, and then you scored, I think we won three in a row, you scored in the third game as well. That must have been a great introduction for you. Well, the, the yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, scoring the two goals and then scoring again. But I thought then, this game's easy. <laughs> it's quite easy, this, this football. Um, and then I've got a rude awakening in the the four, it was the, the third game, I believe. I don't know if it was Berry we played at home. Um, and that's when I got my first, um, shall we say, telling off from Mr. Webb. Oh. So, yeah, and, and if you know Dave Webb, you don't want to be told off by him, especially when you're a kid. Um, and that sort of put me back on the straight and narrow saying, you, you've not done anything, son. You've started well, but that's all you've done. So, yeah, it was great. Um, but I forget about them goals because of the, the Man United thing. And uh, we're going to cover everything, I think, today, Jeff, aren't we? We are. We certainly are. What, whatever happened to Danny Bailey and John Rodney? Did they get, not get offered deals? 
Well, John um, was a bit of a rebel himself, brilliant footballer, because there was nothing between the three of us, to be fair. And this is where I say you need a bit of luck in football. For whatever reason, I got kept on. Um, and Danny. Um, and I saw Danny Bailey. He was playing for Exeter. I was playing for Peterborough. Um, played against each other. Funnily enough, we both scored on that day against each other, So, which was nice. That was back, oh, I would say... 90, 80, 88, 89, around that time. Um, yeah, so Danny was playing and then he got released uh, and, and stopped playing. Mm -hmm. but, but John Rodney was a other player as well. Quick, very good footballer. But on the other side of it, his attitude wasn't, you know, what yeah. they liked. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Fair enough. So um, you were also, you were one of the first uh, post-war black players to come down to Bournemouth as well. And, uh, you know, I've, I think at the time that, that, that era was quite a difficult era. How, how did you deal with that as a young player? Because it must have been pretty tough out there. So uh, where I grew up, London, um, I'd experienced before it's different on the pitch though because you, you can't retaliate you can't do this but you were getting it off of players opposition players um and it was just the dumb thing and if you retaliated or you fought back or you said something it would stop me playing so i had to learn to live with it it wasn't nice mm. i remember taking a corner at um Ereford and then throwing bananas on uh just for the sake of doing it. And and as a kid, you're thinking, Jesus, well, I'm a kid. You, you know, colour of my skin means you can do that. But that's the way it was at that time. Very, very difficult. I just remember because of all of the John Barnes stuff as well, it was, uh, you know, you look back, it's quite a, a difficult part of social history for, for people. And I think younger fans will, would be really surprised if they remembered what um, sort of the pioneer players like yourself went through. Oh, God, crazy. Um, uh, I look back and it, it has got a bit better, but it's still there. We, yeah. we know it's still there, but it has got a bit better. And, and the kids nowadays, I don't know if they would have coped with that. I don't know mm. if they would have coped with it because they are looked after so much better now than what we were. It was sort of, you need to grow up and deal with it yourself. Yeah. On on the plane on the playing side, Milton. I always thought um, you played across a number of different positions for for Bournemouth, and yeah. I I wonder sometimes if if in the early days that that held you back a little bit because you kind of could fill in on the wing, you could play just behind the forwards, you could play one a, as one of the forwards. What did you consider your best position to be in, and what did you want to play? Um, well, I played in midfield by accident. We, we'd had injuries, um, and Harry got me back in there. And I enjoyed it because I wasn't an out-and-out -out goal scorer. I wasn't a Tomo. I wouldn't score your 20 goals a season. I wouldn't do it. But I would create goals. So, for me, a, a number 10, you know, the, the, the number 10 they play now, um, that would have suited me down to the ground. And it did when I went to, to Chester. I played behind the front too. Yeah. And Ian, what was Harry like to play for? Uh, in the early days, when he first took over from uh, Don Megson, which would have been probably October time, November of 83, that was his first managerial uh, position. 
and it, it used to get it used to take everything so personally. You know, if we didn't play well, he'd, he'd think we were doing it. I think, you know, to upset him, which clearly wasn't wasn't the truth. And he he was, but he as a person, he's just exactly as you would have spoken to him as you do last week, last year, ten years ago. No different. Just a real genuine sort of person who um, had this knack more often than not of getting the best out of everybody and kind of, you know, his man management skills, I think, as well as his top coaching skills is, is what were probably, you know, his best attributes. And I think we all enjoyed that. I mean, sure, he could uh, go off at the deep end and we'd all been at the end of that uh, on occasions. Um, but generally speaking, um, I think he kind of made you feel good about yourself when you went out to play. And I think that's a real secret ingredient of a good manager. That's how I found him anyway. And mm. Milton, how did you rate Don Megson? Let's, let's, shall we say I didn't? <laughs> <laughs> um, to be fair, he, he had his own minors. You know, every manager has. And you could look at me as a flair player, if you like. Um, and so I think they get a, a bum deal. If it's not going correct or great, your flair player is the one that comes out first. Um, so... He had his opinion of me, wouldn't play me as such. Um, and again, that was a learning curve because I felt I'd done everything to get in the side, but didn't. Um, and, and you could go away and sulk about it, but you need to keep training, keep doing what you're doing and, you, and your time will come. And, mm. and it did. So, um, yeah, we didn't get on, shall we say. That was a that was a really strange time. I always thought for Bournemouth because Harry got the job as a caretaker, then he he stepped back down. Don Megson came in. The start of that season, Ian, we um, I think we lost five or six in a row, and then Harry Redknapp came in, and the side transformed with the same group of players almost immediately. What was wrong uh, for the first five games, in your opinion, and what did Harry do so quickly to change it? Oh, I, uh, I mean, it's quite difficult for me to judge because it was my first season as a as a professional yeah. player. Um, we had a we we got off to a, a pretty awful start. We lost one 0 at home in the first game to Preston, and then we had a League Cup game. We lost um, we lost at home to Bristol Rovers, and then we our third game was Burnley away, um, and they were a really top side then, and we got absolutely hammered five one. Um, I think Brian Flynn was playing for them, and Kevin Reeves, and they had a really top side. Um, and we got absolutely hammered. And I think, you know, we just couldn't really um, gel as a team. That's what I could say. I think we were kind of playing as individuals a little bit. That's how I saw it. Um, and then Don Megson hung around actually for quite a bit after that, I think. And we, we lost something like eight or nine of the first 10 or 11 games. And then I think in sort of October time, we sneaked to win or we beat Gillingham. And then we, we, we sneaked to win against Plymouth. And we started to just gain a bit of confidence. And I and I think it was around that time that Harry was kind of taking over. And he had a very different style of management. And I think he was just, as I said earlier, just trying to tap into making people feel positive and, you know, um, thoughts that you can actually go out and, and win games. Um, mm. And it's like, it's like whatever um, standard of football, you, football you're playing, if you start winning games and you get that confidence... Uh, yeah. You start believing in yourselves. And I think just those first sort of eight to ten games, we were just loss after loss after loss. Um, and you have those, those beliefs that you're just never going to win a game. Mm. Um, so you sneak a win, you sneak a win here and there. 
and you start to believe in yourselves. And I think Harry got us playing a bit more as a team. Um, and I think he definitely built that self-belief um, around that time. And we certainly did, you know, a lot better. We had a good spell there where we did a lot better um, when Harry first took over. And the FA Cup, the, the first round was a, a pretty comfortable victory over Walsall. But that second round game, I mean, I remember the replay. We went, we went and we got a nil-nil, didn't we, against Windsor and Eton? Yeah. And then the replay was a really edgy affair. And honestly, I thought this game could go either way when I was watching it. I don't know. What, what did you feel when you were playing that? Were you nervous because you knew what was coming I, up? In the I, I, don't know if, I don't know if Milton, I don't know if you remember the Walsall game first, Milton. We, we went to Jersey the week before that. Do you remember? Yeah. We came back on the Friday. <laughs> yeah. We came back on the Friday and we were playing Walsall on the Saturday. And I think we all thought the week we'd had in Jersey... We're not sure what's going to happen here. And we probably turned in our best performance of the season. And we absolutely hammered them 4-0. And then you're quite right, uh, Jeff, when we played Windsor and Eaton away, we could easily have lost up there. Oh, definitely. Uh, And coming back home, um, you know, we in the end, we won 2-0. But, oh, that was an absolute... And, of course, by then, we already knew that the prize was was a third round tie with Manchester United. So it was on the line for both sides. Um, and it was a really, as you say, it was an edgy affair. And I think we kind of, um, I think in the last 20 minutes, 30 minutes, we were comfortable winners. But right up until that point, it was going either way. Yeah. So what happened in Jersey? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. We, uh, we, we trained hard. We trained hard and did nothing else. <laughs> Milton, what, how do, what do you remember about Jersey? Oh, God. Do I remember it? So... Um, I think there's six of us. I'm not going to name names. No, go on. Tomo was, not, Tomo was not one of them, to be fair. <laughs> he wasn't. Um, so we went out for a, a day short. He gave us a day off, Harry. Um, and we went out. We drunk from... That was when the pubs were open at 10 o'clock in Jersey. Well, so we from 10 o'clock to whatever time. Uh, and I'm not going to go into too much detail, but... Shall we say um, we ended up? Well, I ended up in a prison cell. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that, that night. And I, I can't say it because it, it's gone. So we were messing about. I fell through a plate glass window of an off license. I'm not going to name who, who pushed me, but I, I know who it was. Uh, anyway, uh, fell through this plate glass window. Got up and I was that drunk, we couldn't run. I could not run. Carried <laughs> on walking, walking along, and police pulled up, grabbed me, black fella in a Sergio Cicini tracksuit. <laughs> just had a description of you. Said, Yeah, I'm the only one here, mate. So, <laughs> anyway, um, went to the cell, got locked up, and when just as I was getting locked up, Three of the other lads turned up and said, look, they were there. We wasn't nicking anything. This is what happened, boom, boom, boom. So three of us spent the, the night in the, um, in the cell. The next morning at Jersey, you go straight to court. So we sit in the... In the <laughs> we've come out and we sat down. Court waiting. And who do we see come round the corner? Harry. Harry. <laughs> and, he, and he sits down... And he's just giving us this look that you, you know you're in trouble. You know you're in trouble. Anyway, we get a fine 
um, get sent back and we get back to the hotel and he says to us, the six of us that it was, go and get your kit on. We're going to do some work. So we knew what that meant. That was running. <laughs> and he runners, and he runners, and he runners, and he runners. Uh, and then no one, we was like, um, I don't think the rest of the lads were too impressed because no one was allowed to have a drink. <laughs> the rest of that. Oh, it, uh, brilliant. Uh, and I don't know if I'm allowed back in Jersey, to be fair. <laughs> you're, not, you're not missing much. You're not missing much, Bill. I wouldn't worry about it. No, no, Melts, I think, Melts, you're quite right. I think the rest of us weren't too happy with you lot. <laughs> <laughs> When it actually came to to the game itself, I mean, I I, I think people now look at the FA Cup as uh, 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 not necessarily the biggest competition. Premier League teams tend to play reserves. But at that time, it was the competition to win. United were holders. They'd beaten Brighton 4-0 in a replay um, in 1983, which I remember as a very, you know, a very big performance from them. They had world-class players throughout the, the team. They picked their best 11. I mean, what, what did you guys think? Did you think you had a chance? Me personally, um, no, if I'm honest. Hmm. It wasn't until the, the Friday, I suppose, the Friday evening when I saw Ron Atkinson speaking about the game. And, and he looked as though well, he was speaking that, well, it's just another round. We, uh, we sort of sell through this. And, and then when we turned up at the ground, and I've never seen so many people <laughs> at Bournemouth, that's when it hit home and I thought, oh, God, this is really happening, isn't it? This is what the big time sort of feels like. Uh, um, and it was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. So it gave you a buzz. I don't know about you, Tomo, but it gave me a buzz that this is a big game, especially when you saw their players. Yeah, and we, um, we spent the night together as a team on the Friday night, which, of course, we didn't usually do in the roundhouse, I think. And um, yeah. and I think um, by the time, you know, we kind of got to three o'clock on the Saturday, um, I think the, the doubts we had about the possibility of us winning, I think for most of us it had gone. And I think we, you know, I genuinely did really think we went out there. I certainly did and thought this is just another game. I didn't really... Because I'd only been in the game from non-league for about six months, I didn't really get it. I didn't really understand uh, yeah. the meaning of this kind of uh, this kind of game, and so I I probably did just go out and play without any preconceived ideas of what the game might be like. Obviously, it's a bit um, awe-inspiring when you're standing against international players, um, <laughs> because you know we're used to going to places like um, no disrespect to them, Port Vale and Millwall and. Uh, you know, loads of lower league sides, um, but this was kind of household names you're playing against. And I, and I, but as we were chatting about earlier, Milton, you know, before we went on air, um, I think as the first half progressed, I was just really feeling, you know, they don't seem to be offering much here in terms of of, of really grabbing hold of this game. And I didn't really feel like we'd been chasing the shadows that we thought we would. Um, we all yeah. worked hard, and I think by the time halftime came at nil-nil, crikey, I genuinely thought we had a chance in the mm. second half. Because be... Man United players yeah. were just not at the races at all. And our lads have been brilliant. At Robbie Savage, you know, putting in tackles, 
Um, people chasing, even Trevor Morgan chasing back. I don't think he ever did that in his life. He was chasing back. Um, you know, and as we said before, we had a bit of a makeshift midfield because we had some you know, players who would normally be in the team who weren't available for various reasons. And it was just this kind of rear gone action. But going in at half-time, you, I genuinely thought, what are we worried about? It was really strange. And yeah. Harry's half-time talk, I thought, was brilliant. He just made us go out and think, you can win this. What did he? I was going to say. What did he say? What was his tactics before the game, and what did he say at half time? So, what was what was Harry's specific role in 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 the pre match and the half time? It's what Tomo said earlier about Harry. He's just got this knack of making people do things that they wouldn't normally do, um, and how he speaks to players individually. He knew what each player needed, and then he put that together as a team. And, and I can't remember his exact words, but he'd make you feel 10 foot tall when you, you went out on the pitch. Even reserve team games, he'd do the same. He, he just had this knack of getting people to do things. And it's been proven all over his uh, career. Hmm. You mentioned that you stayed at the roundhouse, Tomo. Was that usual? Did he usually put you up there or the club do that? No, no, no. I mean, uh, that was, uh, I mean, obviously, home games. We we all lived local and it was meet at uh, whatever it was, one o'clock before the game. So that was that was different. And, and in a way, it kind of, um, I don't know whether Harry planned it, but it, it gave him the opportunity to spend a bit more time with us and kind of just really talk about football generally and the game. Um, and for whatever reason on that day, it worked. Because, you know, if we played that game, Probably fifty times we would probably have lost forty nine out of fifty because you yeah. look at if you look at the players in the sides and where we were we were down at probably in the bottom six in the third division at the time they were doing well and cup holders um, so no that wasn't usual to meet up before um, but it just kind of worked and it and it set it set the scene beautifully for us and I I you know there was there was nothing at the end of the game even at the end of the game. I didn't even really feel surprised that we'd won in some just the way it all went. It was a really mm. odd feeling. Um, and, you know, as I say, they would beat us probably 49 times out of 50. But just on this particular day, everything went our way. It certainly felt like that as a, as a fan. I mean, I think we were the same as Milton. We turned up with no chance at all in our own heads. And then it got to half time. I even remember when we went ahead thinking, oh, God, this will make him angry. And what will happen now? It was a, it was a stranger. I mean, in the first half, Milton, you hit the crossbar, didn't you, with a header? Did you think that was your yeah. big moment come and gone? Yeah, that was a chance gone for me, <laughs> I, I, I was thinking. Um, but you've got to keep going. Um, it, I agree. As the game went on, we seemed to get physically stronger mm. as well. Um, and it's a true saying, you know, they didn't start off well. When you you don't start off well, it's hard to pick up and get going again. By that time, we were on fire. We were playing. We were having a go. At, um, and, and we, to be fair, we even kicked a few. Well, Sav did. Kicked a few. Yeah, he yeah. did. You know, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And, Ray, and Ray Train. Ray Train kicked a few as well. And, and that's, you know, what you could get away with it in them days. You couldn't now. Um, but that was part of it as well, that there was yeah, there was a respect, of course there was, but 11 against 11. Yeah. I thought Roger Brown was outstanding in that game, considering he was marking Frank Stapleton, who was, again, a brilliant centre-forward of his time. I thought he had a superb match in that game. 
Do you know what? I look back and uh, and you think about things, uh, and Roger Brown couldn't run, but his positional sense and heading the ball was just fantastic. He could not run. He was heavy, heavy Come smoker. Was he heavy smoker? Oh God, was he? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. he was. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was a heavy smoker. To be fair, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I, I agree with you at the back, you know, him and Phil Brignall. And it was just one of those days where everybody kind of did their jobs well and we worked as a team. I don't remember uh, Ian Lee, Nipper, the goalkeeper, I don't remember him having to make many saves. No. It wasn't like, you know, when we played them the year after and up in Old Trafford and we got absolutely bombarded and they had chance after chance after. It just wasn't like that. Can, I, being can I just um, say, I didn't play in that game. They just didn't get up ahead of steam. And I think, Milton, what you say yeah. is quite right. I think they, Ron Atkinson kind of took this as a given. Um, and yeah. I think that kind of came through potentially a little bit in the players. And that's not being disrespectful to them because these are some of the best players that are, you know, you, you, in the country. Um, and it was almost the opposite effect that Harry had on us gave us the belief and I think they were just perhaps thinking oh it's Bournemouth you know perhaps we are going to win this at a canter um, and it just didn't pan out that way so um, I think it was just credit to the whole setup and, and credit to all the 11 12 players who played for us on that day everyone just did their job and I think you know as the game went on we we kind of just had a bit of a self-belief that we perhaps didn't have Friday before the game. So yeah. come on then, Milton. Talk us through your glorious goal. That first, that first goal that set the mood. What was it like? Describe it for us. Well, when people ask me about it who, who have not seen it, I always tell them it was edge of the box uh, <laughs> and a volley. Uh, part of that is true. Yeah. Part of that is true. <laughs> um, no, we've worked on uh, corners. So uh, uh, probably Roger Brown actually may have been. I think it was Trevor Morgan. Trevor Morgan goes up with Gary Bailey, I think. For the first hour of the game, as the ball is going to be struck over on the left by Chris Sully. Here it comes from the corner. Up for the head. And the goalkeeper is blocked. Ball to the head. Ball to the head. It's a goal. It's a goal. It's a goal, Richard. It's a goal. A fantastic goal. Bournemouth has scored. Milton Graham. Graham has got the goal. Bournemouth are one up. Yeah, but we used to do a uh, flick to the, the near post uh, corner and flick on, and some I'd, I'd have to peel off the back post. So take two yards back and then go on to the ball if it came. And if you weren't in that position, you'd get a right rollicking because that's what we worked on. And and Gary Bailey come for it and sort of flapped. Um, and it's I can see it where you think, this is a goal. This is a goal. But the worst part of it is, I scored, fell over, and then I got up and tried to run away and celebrate and <laughs> fell over again. <laughs> Before, and then the lads got hold of me and, and I, I couldn't get away then. But yeah, I had it planned what, what way I was running out and, and then I fell over. <laughs> in, in, front of, in front of 3,000 Manx as well, yeah. he fell over. Didn't yeah. <laughs> and Ian, so your, your moment... Start with the long ball, I think. You remember it well. I do, yeah. Um, it, and, and as we were saying, you know, to Milton before, um, it came literally two minutes after Milk, Milk's goal. And probably for us, that's what we needed. Because I think mm -hmm. if uh, just stayed at 1-0 for five, ten minutes, we may have found we were under more pressure. But uh, we had a free kick. 
Evleron just hit a long kind of hopeful ball. And I think, again, it might have been Trevor who went up to head it and it just dropped. Trevor. Um, yeah, and it just dropped and it was, I mean, Brian Robson dropped at his feet, but he just hesitated for a little minute and I, I just sort of nipped in and um, hit it almost in one movement. And for some reason, Gary Bailey had kind of almost gone down on his haunches. I, I think if he'd stood up big and strong, he probably would have saved it, but mm. he'd almost mm. gone down on That's... his haunches and it just kind of flew into the top of the net. And I, I don't know, it, it was it was just one of those out-of-body moments. You just think, hang on a minute, I, has this really happened? And mm. you just run away and, mm. and, and all sorts of mayhem kind of kicked off. Laurent with the free kick, edge of the United area, bounces around, half dead. And it's Bournemouth to Manchester United nil. Tomo, I think you do yourself a disservice, really. Because if you remember it, you read where the ball was going. You read yeah. it. You went and you're right. It's, it's just one complete motion. When you hit that ball, you were still running sort of thing. Bang, goal. It, yeah. it was a brilliant yeah. finish. Absolute brilliant finish. It was a brilliant finish. I, I watched it again recently, you know. I think there were several things, you know. If I if I was telling you how to sell it to people like Milton sold his goal, I'd definitely say you robbed the England captain. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd say you hit it first time. I mean, it was, it was a toe punt to me, but it first time smashed it into the net. And that's what caught Gary Bailey unawares. He was expecting you to take a touch and he wasn't set. So... You know, just the vision to hit that first time when you had the chance was just, that's what made the goal. The Bournemouth thing was entirely different. It was, it was a nothing match. For an hour, there was no danger. I really didn't feel there was any danger. I thought the worst result we were going to get was a no-score draw. And then, as you've just, you've just seen, two very good players have made two very basic uh, defensive errors. I mean, until Gary Bailey's dropped the first cross, we were never in any danger. Once he's done that, that's fired them for a little bit. Last 20 minutes, we chased the game. Should have... Maybe could have equalised. Um, one thing I would put straight on that, and I've got a little bit annoyed by people, uh, it wasn't really a lack of commitment or effort, you know, or attitude even. The cost of the Bournemouth game, it was basically very good players, in some cases world-class players, not showing that, that absolute talent they've got. Well, you locked the door to the dressing room afterwards, didn't you? And didn't come out for about an hour, so obviously you were disappointed. You're not too happy if you get knocked out of the FA Cup by anybody, yeah. particularly a lower division side, Ian. But you're saying about the commitment there. Obviously, you, you had something on your mind if, if you're locking them in the dressing Yeah, we're talking about... Um, let me highlight a couple of instances. Brian Robson, who we all know is the best player in Britain, twice got beyond there right back, and you thought, all right, Robbo, just knocking a good little ball into the box and we've got half a chance. He nearly hits the top of the stand. Arnold Muren gets, gets himself in a free position, wide on the left again, all the time in the world, and doesn't produce a ball from arguably the best left foot in Britain. Mm -hmm. You know, that sort of thing. Now, you can't legislate for that. Mm -hmm. We knew we would have to battle to earn the right to play. We did that. I mean, as I've, as I've stated, played for an hour, you know, my physio said, you know, the worst result, we don't really want a replay next week. We've got too many players with little knocks. A minute later, we'd have, we'd have willingly settled for a replay. But you know what? It's funny you were saying earlier, Milton, about, um, you know, saying you're, you weren't yourself a natural goal scorer. Um, like me, I, I sort of disagree a little bit. I think you're instinctive around the box. And I, and I think, um, I mean, I played most of my career up front, although I did play uh, wide right for Bournemouth a little bit. Um, mm. and, I, and I just think it's those sort of instincts around the box and things like that when you, when you, you watch the very best strikers 
they just sort of instinctively do things. And I think if I thought about what I was doing at that time, I probably wouldn't have scored. It was just one of those yeah. things where it happens very quickly and mm. you just hope your natural instincts in front of goal kind of kick in. Um, and for me, there was no other thing to do than just hit it. Um, uh, and as you say, Gary Bailey perhaps was expecting something different. Um, so, you know, talking through any thought process around how the goal is scored, there probably weren't any. It was just kind of the ball's there, you nip in and, and, and instinctively, like you did, to be fair, Milton, for your goal. You know, you nipped in really yeah. quickly because it was an awkward ball for you to hit. Awkward height. Kind of body height, mm. really awkward yeah, height. Yeah, it was. In that. And I think that's where players who sort of play a lot of their games in the opponent's box, um, it's just those instinctive things that kind of score goals in the end. And that, that kind of helped to me how that was. One, one player who was immense that day uh, was... Trevor Morgan, a player you both would have played with loads of different times. He was he was sometimes a bit maligned by the fans because I think he was underappreciated sometimes for what he did. What was it like playing with him? How did you both find him as a player to play off? I, I love playing with Trevor because you knew what you was going to get. It would go up and it would stick. So you could make you could make runs off of um, uh, Trevor, um, and he was just an honest footballer. He wasn't quick mm. again, but. It, he was just an honest, honest footballer. He'd give you everything he's got. Um, and he, he'd work for the team. He, 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 a lot of what he did was unsung. Mm. You, you know, you wouldn't see it. But I think the players knew what Trevor was worth to us because you could, as I say, make runs off of him. Ball would stick to him. He was a dream for a midfield player. Yeah, and I, I agree with that 100% playing alongside him. Um, you, you couldn't find a more honest person on the pitch you know what you got with Trevor was just um, wholehearted um, maybe not the most uh, pretty of players in some respects but you know a, a team is made up of all sorts of different players and I think Trevor's worth to the team um, you know was immense in yeah. terms of the things that he did um, and he took a lot of stick probably for me at times you know because he he was kind of more like a a, a bit of a target man a bit maybe more than I was um, and took a lot of hits for all of us. Um, mm. And in the, in the runs that we had where we were winning games, you'd always find that Trevor was pretty prominent in that, and we would mm. kind of feed off yeah. him. And also, i got to say, what a top bloke, top guy off the pitch in terms of team spirit in the dressing room. Mm. Um, I mean, we did have a laugh, but Trevor was always, you know, very positive about life. That's, that's all I remember him being. And, you know, whatever the kind of situation, he was always very positive. And that kind of rubbed off you on the pitch. That's how I felt. And, uh, you know, just a great professional. Can I just add to that? I just remembered something. So the year I signed uh, pro, I'd gone out with the, the first team, if you like, the, the boys. Um, thought I was a bit of a man. And I had £20 on me. Uh, and Trevor said, have you got money on you to go out with us? And I said, yeah, I've got 20 quid. Well, he grabbed the 20 quid and that it. <laughs> what are you doing? That's my only 20 pounds. <laughs> and he ate it. You're right. He, he was fantastic. Uh, and without him, I mean, both of those goals were created by him causing mayhem in the box, weren't they, really? You know? Yeah. They were. And that, and that, was, and that was his worth to us all because he would do a lot of the... The kind of um, you know the the donkey work around uh, chasing, harrying, and giving the to centre halves a hard time. And as you rightly say, um, both challenges that he made had caused a little bit of uh, um, uncertainty in the defence. And and that's where Milton and I both profited, um, as yeah. you as you uh, you know as we remember. 
Were you worried at all that United would get back in it? I mean, they had a disallowed goal, but did it feel in those last 20 minutes that they were they were coming at you really hard? I was more concerned about the fans getting on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they sort of left the ground, hadn't they, a lot of the Man United fans, and walked around to the, the yeah. other end. And I, yeah. I, was, I was more worried about them and yeah. the family and stand sort of thing. So not really thinking about the game at that time. But no, I didn't feel as though we were going to lose it then. No, you're quite right. There was the, the crowd actually. The, the game was stopped for a couple of minutes because the crowd came on at the because yeah. the Man United fans and um, some of the Man United fa- uh, players who I remember standing and sort of standing with while that was going on. I think they were resigned to the fact that they were going to really? lose the game. Hmm. Um, and and they never really kind of apart from Lou Macari's was it Lou Macari's disallowed goal apart disallowed from goal. that. I can't remember them having any chances at the death either. No. I, don't know, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you remember, Neil, but I remember the word going around the crowd at the time that United fans were trying to stop the game. That was the only way. They wanted to get it abandoned by invading the pitch. Do you remember that? I was such a young little boy then. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. No, what, what I do remember, I don't remember that bit actually, because I was quite young. But what I do remember was it was like the Alamo at the end. So although United didn't create anything, we stopped going forward. And all I remember is Roger Brown booting the ball continually. It was like rugby league out for a throw in and all the crowd cheering. And then it would come back and he'd boot it again. It, it, was, it was a <laughs> surreal ending to a game because... Quite rightly, we'd stopped attacking. We just we were like, Christ, we've got to hang on to this. And what was it like after the after the game? So you obviously got in the change room, all the media work started. There wouldn't have been a lot of media work in those days. Talk us through how that was for you two, because obviously you were the centre of it with Harry. Well, I I, I just my um, immediate thoughts as we went into the dressing room, we were followed in by press reporters from TV, newspapers, radio. I just couldn't get my head around it at all. It was just so unlike what we were used to. You know, mm. we're used to going back and playing in front of crowds of four or 5,000, um, you know, not, not particular media interests except for the local stuff. And our dressing room was just completely full of people wanting to interview everybody. And it was just complete mayhem. And I, I, don't, I, I don't know about you, Mel, but I just could not get my head around it at all. And I was still scratching my head thinking, what is this fuss all about? I just, I just couldn't really get my head around it. And we were all kind of thrust into different places to do little interviews, um, which culminated with Harry's legendary chat on the pitch that was broadcast on, on uh, Match of the Day when he said he didn't really care about what happened to the Manchester United players and Ron Atkinson. <laughs> But it was complete carnage, wasn't it? It's got to be the greatest day of my life, and I'm sure the greatest day in the the lives of all the players. And uh, it was just, you know, it's it's a great afternoon for everybody in Bournemouth. We're delighted, well pleased. Are you surprised that Bournemouth was so much the better side, though? Because I mean, I don't think anybody would argue the better team won on the day. No, I've had a feeling all week that we win, we we win the game, John. You know, I've had this strong feeling we could beat Manchester United today. The supporters were tremendous. The players are the fellows who done it, not me. You know, the game's about players, not managers. It's about the fellows who get on the park and play. You know, we keep seeing managers on TV and the managers are becoming more famous than the players. The lads have done it today with great support from all the people, so all credit to them. Yeah, um, you're right. It was just chaos in there. Um, there was people everywhere. and We'd never experienced anything like it. So it, it didn't really settle down or... 
I understood it. It was when Brian Tyler came up to me and he had, uh, I think it was about 200 quid in notes. And he gave it to me. And I was thinking, why have you given me that money? I'm not the captain. So I want to give it to, to Roger. But that's when it, it owned that, hold on a minute, we've done something here. And then mm. when you got changed and went out, Jesus, wet. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely crazy. So you've you, you got a £200 bonus, is that right? No, I, no. That, that was 200 quid given to go and have a drink, that was. Um, <laughs> so, and that's what we got. I couldn't even tell you what the win bonus was. Oh, I, can, I can remember, Someone. Mills. And actually, it was £200 a person for winning that game. Right. All right. That's what it was, yeah. But that 200 you got was for probably just to have a few drinks, I imagine. It's a good job we didn't give it to Trevor Morgan because he'd have eaten it by the sounds of it. <laughs> <laughs> the um, it was back to earth with a bump, wasn't it? Because we then it, I think the next league game it was probably a case of after Lord Mayor's show because it wasn't it wasn't it, it, we almost went back. You know, no disrespect, but the team hadn't hadn't performed superbly before the Man United game, and we almost went back to that form, didn't we? Afterwards, we did. We well, played. Um, uh, we, well, lost to, we lost to Port Vale the week before we played Port Man Vale. United and then we went to Preston the week after and lost 2-0. And I remember yeah, I remember Roger Brown up in the dressing room at Preston after we'd lost 2-0. He just gave this kind of speech around, who the hell do you think you all are? Win one game against Man United and you think you're world beaters. And I think we all kind of thought, yeah, <laughs> you're probably right because we were terrible yeah. up at Preston, absolutely terrible. Yeah. yeah. Was, well, he smoke, was he smoking? Was he smoking? Was he smoking when he said it? Likely. <laughs> yeah, he normally was. Yeah, he normally was. <laughs> and one thing, think about it, it was probably a week of drinking, wasn't it? Jesus wasn't fit to play football. Uh, and out of the, the Man United game, for, we started getting um, free cinema tickets. Uh, free restaurants, you could go in and do what you like. Uh, I remember going into um, a clothes shop, a guy giving me a suit. <laughs> and, and, and you just think, hold on a minute, yeah, this is crazy, this could go on forever, but it doesn't. And you're right, we were brought to earth with a bump. Did Ian Lee get free pizza for life, or is that just a modern myth? It was it was promised to him, but um, I don't think he ever did. Although although looking at him sometimes, you kind of thought he'd been doing that all his life. The um, I was looking looking back through the record books. Uh, so I think after that goal, you didn't score again that season, Milton, until the very end. Um, so it was like you were saving all your goals for great occasions for the. I think it's the end of that season that we play in the Associate Members Cup final up at Hull and you scored the first goal, didn't you, in a 2-1 win? Yeah. The, the, do you know what? It really grates on me, that does. the um, Not the goal, but playing at Hull. Because the next year it was played at Wembley, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was meant to be played at Wembley the first year. So I never did get my eldest son played at Wembley when he was seven or eight. <laughs> and to this day he will tell me that he's played at Wembley and I haven't describe the goal I, I heard it was a, a good goal 
Well, I thought it was an excellent goal. But, yeah. <laughs> um, no, again, we had. I think we did a short corner. I went and picked it up, um, and I did the Johan Cruyff turn, if you like, back and chipped it into the far post, into the corner of the net. And the keeper was uh, was flapping at it. It is a goal similar to Glenn Hoddle. So anyone who wants to watch that, Glenn Hoddle goal against Watford. Right. Um, it was it was exactly the same. I remember that over Steve Sherwood into the far corner. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We had Paul Morell on a, um, a couple of weeks ago. Paul Morell was on this sh on the show. He, he, t he's, he. We were trying to remember: is there TV footage of that still anywhere? I think he said he'd managed to find some. I don't think I've ever seen any of you. I've never seen any footage for it at all. Right. Never. Uh, so we, we are going to have to take your word for it then. Yes, and I wouldn't lie about it. <laughs> As I remember it, Milton, it was a, like a two a two yard tapping. I thought it was. <laughs> that's probably right. No, it was, no, it was. It was a top goal. I do remember it, and and actually that was a really good win because Hull City had been playing all year, and yeah, they, they were, were very good. very good side. They, uh, in fact, they kind of pioneered the when they played us earlier in the season. They came down and played with wing backs. And that was one of the first times we'd seen that in the game at all. And they were a really, really top side. So we were we were kind of uh, chuffed to win that up there. That was a really good result. That's great. And yeah, the following... just, just let down that it wasn't at Wembley. Yeah, just me too. Crazy. Yeah. The following season, uh, Colin Russell arrived at the club. And that, that coincided with, I think, you got moved out to the wing, Ian. What, what, did, you, what did you think about that? Was that your preferred position? Uh, I I I wasn't I didn't really mind. I mean, um, you know, I was just happy to be playing um, uh, professional football. I was happy to be in the team. Um, you know, Colin was a very different kind of player and gave something slightly different. Um, and I just adapted to that. I think I was, um, um, you know, quite happy to play in a wide right position. I was still had license to get forward whenever I wanted to. So um, it, it didn't it didn't really phase me at all. Um, just enabled me to develop different skills um and Colin was great for the side you know him playing up front in a in a slightly different role and doing different things gave us something different because we we did actually do I think we did quite a lot better in the league in the second season you know in mm. Harry's first full season um and um yeah no that was fine I I didn't really mind I was just happy to be playing but of course we had small squads then we mm. probably only had around 16 to 18 first team players um, and, uh, and the one thing I remember, Milton, was because we were all paid um, appearance money and bonuses, um, crikey, nobody was ever on the treatment table saying they were injured. If we had an injury, we didn't yeah, used to yeah. tell anyone. We just used mm. to get on with it because no. we didn't want to get out the side. Because um, it was a very mm. small squad. Um, and, and, but Colin was, Colin was great. He was big mates with Robbie Savage, I think. Mm -hmm. The two of them together were, uh, were a right handful. Yeah, they both come down from well, he, Liverpool, weren't they? Yeah. <clears throat> he, he was a Kenny Daglish. Um, Kenny Daglish was his hero. So, and that's how he played. He was a hell of a player, Colin Russell. He was. He was. Yeah. Hell of he a was. player. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's who he modelled himself on. There's a few players you look back on and you think they should have played at a, at a higher level than they probably did. And there might have been reasons for it. But Colin Russell, on his day, could take... 
defences apart and then he'd have two, three games where he didn't do an awful lot. And I guess it was consistency, wasn't it, for him? But what was Billy Rafferty like? Because you played with him, Ian, as well, didn't you? Both of you played with him. He was an experienced pro, wasn't he? Yeah, he came down towards the end of his career. Um, Just an absolutely model pro. And I think, you know, I think I learned from him as I did from people like Roger Brown. Um, You know, people like him probably been in the pro game for years and years and years. You you get kind of quite level, keep yourself quite level whether you win or lose. And I think I sort of learned from people like Billy and... um, and Roger Brown, that you know, win, lose, or draw, you've just got to keep quite level-headed. And Billy was just a, a, a really good influence in terms of doing all the right things you'd expect professionals to do. And I'd sort of liken that a little bit to John Beck. Um, you know, when I first went there, John was there, and crikey, he was the fittest guy I've ever known. He used to win all <laughs> across the countries. He was fit as anything. Um, but then as soon as the game was over, you know, he'd move on to the social side of it and, and kind of, uh, in many ways, a very, you know, a model professor. And Billy Rafferty, very much the same. Billy, really good goal yeah. scorer and um, added loads to us, I thought, Milton. I don't know about you. Did they? Yeah, Billy, he was a clever player, wasn't he? Yeah. You know, uh, again, not, not a lot of movement, but he knew where he needed to be at the right time. Mm-hmm. But it, you're right, because if I'm remembering it right, he really looked after him. So he had a physique of a... Um, you know, for his age, it was frightening, really, his shape and how strong he was. But, yeah, he, a hell of a player. Hell of a player. And a then nice guy. you were both – were you both there? Were you still there, Milton, when Colin Clark arrived? No, no. Um, God, there's a goal scorer. Bloody hell. Um, no, I think I'd, I'd gone that season. But you were still in the team, weren't you, Ian, for yeah, that uh, season? Yeah, Colin came down in my last season. I think that would have been 85, 86. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a really, really top player. I mean, he was obviously an international, wasn't he? And, uh, you know, a really good player. And, and I think he was probably um, the first player that Bournemouth signed that, that maybe showed the club was, was looking forward in terms of kind of making those progression steps. Because obviously it was the year after I left, um, that they got promotion. I think it was 86, 87, they got yeah. promotion. Um, was it Trevor Aylock came down, I think, and played and they got promotion. Yeah. And, and Colin was a, he was a really top player, Colin. And and I think the club was showing ambition by signing players like himself. Um, absolutely great goal scorer. Um, quite single-minded about himself and scoring yeah. goals. Um, you know, very single-minded. Um, and I think you have to be up to a point. Um, but he, I think he kind of showed... As I just said, I think it showed the club were intent on perhaps, you know, taking the next strides and trying to finally get out of Division Three, you know, the old league, what is now League One, into what is now the Championship. And as it as it showed the year later, that was a. I always thought that was a really strange season though, because we had games. I remember we played the two Bristol sides, and I think we beat them by five and by six in the in, in the course of a couple of weeks. That side looked at, at times like a well-being side for that level, and then. But in the end, had a period where we we only ever just stayed up towards the end. What it was odd as a fan because we couldn't work it out. What was what do you think went wrong in that side at times, Ian? Um, I, I I I can't really I can't really say I remember too much about the eighty five eighty six season. That was the year I had my injury um, and I missed a few games. Um, and I was having all sorts of uh, injections, trying to get my uh, pelvis and groin right. 
Um, and I think we kind of had potentially, I think, I don't, I'm not sure the team was too settled during that season. I may be wrong, but I kind of think there were a, a, a few changes. Um, and towards the um, end of the season, I think we, we had a good, a couple of good wins, but uh, we did just seem to have one of those seasons where we were very inconsistent. Um, and I don't know whether the kind of team ethic had gone a little bit and whether it was kind of changing of personnel. Um, but you, you're quite right. For one reason or another, we didn't we didn't really gel as a side. I think that might have been the season we played Everton in the in the League Cup. It was, yeah. Uh, when we went to Goodison Park and we were two 0 up after eight minutes in the first mm. leg and then lost, obviously lost three two. But um, it was a it was a kind of a fit and start. And I, as I remember, I think there were there were a number of different players who played in the side, and maybe it was that kind of not quite jelly mm. and the inconsistency that we had. And as for you, Milton, you went on to become a bit of a folk hero at Chester City, didn't you? Um, well, I, I say I played my best football uh, there. I, as I, I played behind the front two, and it was a team put together um, by Harry McNally of what I call reprobates. No one wanted them. No one wanted <laughs> us as players. But he put a team together that we, we just gelled. We really did. And we got promotion in the first year. Um, yeah, I, I loved it there. Absolutely loved it. I didn't know where Chester was before I went. <laughs> I had a phone call. They want, to, uh, they want to sign you at Chester. But where is it? Where is it? I have no clue where it is. Um, I went and spoke to him. Uh, another guy, manager, that was so infectious. And you just wanted to play for him. He would, he would work you hard, but he'd let you play hard. You, you know, and then you'd be working hard the next day. But you knew what you were getting from, and you knew what what boundaries you had, what you could do and what you couldn't do with him. But yeah, a fantastic manager again. Again, man management, knowing players or knowing people, as I say. Had you come to the end of your Had you come to the end of your contract at Bournemouth, or or was it a, was it a, a straightforward move? How did it How did the end at Bournemouth come about? And how did it make you feel? Well, um, it was. They weren't going to renew my contract. Um, it was it was a scary feeling because I I hadn't gone through that before, um, so I was left with no club. I'd gone away on holiday and and then got the phone call. But yeah, um, it sort of made me into a man to be honest because I everything was done for me at Bournemouth growing up. You know they got my first passport, got me a doctor, this my first pro contract. Um, so I was looked after as a kid. Um, but then I had to move on. I had to go and say, right, we're not going to agree. I, I, I'm not accepting anything less, blah, 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 um, and, and move on. And, and I grew up, to be fair. And it was not, it was somewhere completely different. And as I say, it was a team that I didn't know any of the players. They didn't know me. Um, and it, it, just, it just worked out brilliantly, to be fair. Loved it there. Absolutely loved it. And for you, Ian, you went to Newport and played a bit with Phil Brignall, didn't you? Was it back problems, I, I, I recall, was a, a bit of an issue, was it? No, I had, a, I had a pelvic injury. I had the same injury that Trevor Brookin had. And um, I think I, I was about 28 and, and it was either a, you know, a, a lengthy operation and layoff of maybe 15, 18 months. Or um, I think, I think the, the club decided to take the insurance money for me. That was the better option for them, I think. Um, <laughs> And I went back 
you know, professional football was out for me in terms of training every day. But I went back to back to Salisbury and played there. And then we moved to Wales and um, I played some conference football, National League stuff with Newport County and Merthyr Tidville. I had a lovely time there um, and then ended up playing a little bit of Welsh League stuff at the end. So, um, you know, back to back to where I started, really went full circle. You went back into, I think you went into teaching then, didn't you, Ian? Was it, did you, were you ever tempted to remind any of your pupils if they got a bit gobby that you'd scored the winner against Man United? Um, I'd actually qualified as a teacher before I went to Bournemouth. Um, right. I'd done the, and I'd, all, I'd taught for two years. Um, but, you know, I, it, it genuinely wasn't really something that, that kind of came up. Uh, right. Because because we you know I I moved on and um, and it was just a bit of history and and occasionally it would come up because there'd be a bit of footage around FA Cup third round time and you kind of reminisce and do a little bit but um, no it wasn't something I uh, I widely talk about a, a bit like you Milton when people bring it up you kind of feel uh, compelled to talk about it and it brings back all the memories but um, you know it was a uh, I've always said, for me, it was a. I had a very unremarkable professional career, but just one very remarkable moment in it. And it's strange that you kind of get remembered when you've got other people who've played the game at a pretty high level for you know long, much longer than I have, and done far better than I did in the game over many years. And and you and I, Milk, just had this one moment of of kind of our fifteen minutes of fame, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's fair to say blowing your own blowing your trumpet for you a bit in that you, I mean you were you were a superb player in those three years. Uh, my dad always used to say you just used to glide across the turf and and you scored yeah. some fantastic goals. And I think had you not had the injuries you've had, you would have been a a big part of the promotion season and the championship season. So I think I, I can you might not be able to say that, but I can say it on your behalf. I think. Yeah, thanks for that. And I I um. You know, I enjoyed it and I did have, there was one moment at the end of my second season where Harry had, uh, was obviously big mates with uh, Jim Smith, who sadly passed away recently. And he was manager of Oxford United, who were in the uh, top division at the time. And they'd agreed uh, for me to go to Oxford and I would have gone there, obviously, and that would have been my chance, potentially. Um, but uh, Jim Smith, love him took up a new job at QPR and said he didn't have space for me there. So that was the end of that. Hmm. <laughs> but no, it was, uh, it was enjoyable times and, um, um, you know, sad that it ended the way it did. But um, I, I think that was, you know, that was probably for me the right thing to do at the time because I, I went back to my other career and, uh, and still enjoyed a number of years of, you know, decent non-league football, which I loved anyway. Hmm. Uh, do people believe you, Milton, when you tell them that you scored the first goal against Manchester United? Well, I've um, I've had a couple of funny responses, shall we say. I had a guy come up to me, um, I was working in the factory, and he said to me, I hear that you're, you scored a goal against Man United. I said, yeah, yeah, I did. Carried on doing what I was doing. He said, well, I don't believe it. So I looked at him, said, why don't you believe it? Well, I don't know if you did. I'm not sure it's you. I said, that's fine, mate. <laughs> and I carried on doing what I was doing. And I'm thinking to myself, listen, you came up, you approached me, you did. I didn't <laughs> right, so, a couple of days go, go by, and this guy comes up to me again. And he says, oh, I've checked it all out, uh, and you did score the goal. I said, did I? <laughs> I said so 
And I said to him, so do you feel great about that now? He said, well, I want to have a chat to you about it. I said, well, I haven't got time to talk to you. <laughs> and, that's, and, and I wouldn't normally do because I and then on the other hand I've had someone come up to me and say God that goal I remember what I was doing at that time when you scored that goal you know uh, I had a Bournemouth fan I was on holiday came up to, and, and it was weird he, he recognised me um, and said Milton Graham I said yeah Bournemouth goal and then started talking about it. So there's been some really nice, you, you, you know, stories about it. But that one just sticks in my mind. That I didn't go for you, mate. Honestly. You can't make it up anyway, can you? Because you can check everything nowadays. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it? yeah. The, the two of you, I guess, you're like the Ant and Deck of lower league football, the 80s, because you don't get to go on the TV or on the radio without the other one, do you, I suppose, these days? Uh, something like that, yeah. Something like that, yeah. I think it's a, it's a, like I say, it's just a really special memory, and um, it's kind of quite surreal. And for it to last still, well, we're talking about thirty six years on, um, and it still kind of comes up every year in, in uh, FA Cup third round. It's always a story in one of the papers or something. So it's just a great memory, and um, and something that you just feel kind of very lucky to be part of. Um, and, and working with Harry for for those three years was just an absolute delight. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, oh. we could have we could have probably a, a ten hour chat show about some of the things he got up to and he did, but uh, they'd all be funny, hilarious, and all good hearted because he's yeah. not just a. T- tell us one. Tell us one. Your favourite one. Well, he, the, he used to join in the card school on the bus a lot of the time. <laughs> we, we didn't used to play for money. I promise you, and he'll probably admit to this more often than not, because he was joined and there were four of us playing, um, we'd always gang up on him to make sure he lost. And I promise you, the cards always end up strewn all across the bus and we don't play anymore. He just used to pick them up and throw them up. Um, and I do remember another time, you know, for me personally, we, we played in my first season, we played at home to York City. Um, and we beat them 4-0. I don't know if you remember the game, Milts. It was a night game. And I had one of my better games and scored a couple of goals. And later in the season, we went up to uh, to play York. And I remember Harry saying to me before the game, he said, Tomo, listen, he said, you you obviously had a, you know, a good game at home. They're going to be really frightened of you today. So, you know, we'd expect you to really get at them. I had an abject 90 minutes. It was, I was terrible. We lost, we were 4-0 down. With a minute to go, and I hit this shot from the edge of the box that, honestly, uh, my grandmother would have saved. And the keeper let it drop over his hands and went into the goal. So it ended up being 4-1. And when we went in the dressing room afterwards, Harry had this cup of tea. And this is true. And he said, I have never been so disappointed in my life when one of my own players has scored a goal and the teacup came flying over in my direction. <laughs> Um, and I had to. I then had to play. This was a Saturday game. I then was told I had to. Go, I think it might have been a Tuesday night game. I had to go back and play the following morning in the reserves. Wednesday morning, you know. So it was kind of you know. Harry was just, but he was just mm. absolutely top guy. Wouldn't have anything said against him myself. No. Uh, there's no. one one final thing that I just wanted to say, which is there's a picture, a classic picture of you all in the bath after that. Manchester United Cup win. But Ian, you were telling me that there's only 10 players in that picture. Who is missing and why? Well, the, the um, 
as I said before, we as we talked spoke about earlier, we had three or four maybe you know first team players who weren't available, and we had on loan uh, I think from Northampton Ray Train, and he mm -hmm. was this was the final game of his loan period, um, and once we went in the dressing room, I I don't remember seeing Ray Train at all after the game. As far as I'm aware, when we walked off the pitch, that was the, the last uh, uh, the last time I ever saw him, and he was never in any of the photos or any of the kind of shots afterwards. So there's only 10 of us. 11 if you count Steve Carter, because he came on, I think, as a sub. I think we only had one sub <laughs> at the time. Um, and Ray Ray was nowhere to be seen, and we never saw him again. Yeah. <laughs> Unsung hero. Ray Train on the train. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Well, uh, thanks, guys. This has been a, a real pleasure to talk with you about such a such an amazing game. And thanks so much for all your chat. It's been it's been brilliant. So, big round of applause. Thank you. Brilliant stuff there. Excellently done by Jeff Hayward and Neil Dawson. And yeah, wasn't it great to hear from Milton and Ian? One single football match and it changed their lives for a long, long time and they're still talking about it now. Top guys. If you want to see that again, remember you can go to youtube.com forward slash AFCB podcast to subscribe. It's completely free. We're looking to get 1500 subscribers by the start of the season. We're on 1402. Is it going to happen? Probably not, but you never know. YouTube.com forward slash AFCB podcast. So there's eight days to go until the start of the Premier League season. Are you looking forward to it? I think I am. Just looking forward to seeing what Bournemouth do in terms of what they're doing in the stands. Apparently, they've got big murals that are going in the crowd. And it's going to be looking like it's full, but it's not. And obviously, with Sky, BT, Amazon, etc., there will be the choice to pump sound into the stadium to make it sound a bit more atmospheric than what you'd usually have with the echoed shouts of Eddie Howe and co. So should be an interesting watch next Saturday night. Now, next podcast, you can join us for a media perspective as we chat to current Premier League, BBC and Optus sport presenter Kelly Summers. Also, BBC broadcaster and global events sports announcer Chris Temple with Peter Rutzler, who is the AFC Bournemouth correspondent from The Athletic. The Press Pass, that's the next one up on the Lockdown Interviews. Thanks for listening. Here comes the corner, it's high, dropping inside the area. Bailey has lost it, a shot comes in, and then Pete Thompson has scored! Bournemouth have taken the lead at Dean Court. I'm not going to fight with it. Bournemouth won. Manchester United nil. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.